genuinely it funds the tour which is amazing it just creates a really fun the way we run like my vip or meet and greet or whatever you want to call it is like very small like max 50 people and um we're just like hanging out for an hour and like get to like actually spend time like it's not like uh like the reason we cap it is so that i can actually talk and like hang out with people for me at least I feel like the people who come to the the meet and greet at the beginning, like they're there early, we're hanging out. I do a little like acoustic set. We'll sing together, sometimes ask questions, get pictures, do the thing. And then it's like, then at the show, that's normally like the front couple rows or like those sure. people who I already yeah. have been hanging out with for the past like hour or whatever. Cool. And there's always like a ridiculously cheesy speech I give of like, you guys are here. You set the vibes for everyone else coming. Like, make sure everyone is making friends, we're taking care of each other. And so it's just this like cute core group of people that set the fucking vibes for the night. And like, yeah, it's really, really, it's really fun. I I think nice. that's like one of my favorite parts of the tour because you know when I'm like opening, I go and hang out at merch after my set and like meet people, and that's always so chaotic. And you're like yeah. screaming, talking over the noise, and like. The VIP thing is just so intimate and just mm. chill, which is really, really cool. Real quick, I want to let you know the new stuff that's going on at TuneCore and what they have been up to. Well, you know that TuneCore is a distributor and gets your music out to all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, Title, all the rest, of course. But you may not realize that they do this for an unlimited plan. Meaning, you can distribute unlimited songs for an annual price. This is a new, relatively new thing that TuneCore has started to do. They also offer payment splitting, and they have an admin publishing program as well. So check out everything that TuneCore is doing. They are a recommended distributor from Ari's Take. Head over to TuneCore.com, sign up for TuneCore, distribute some of your music, and let us know what you think. What's going on? Welcome to the New Music Business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business, the book. The audiobook has actually just been released for the third edition. So if you've been patiently waiting for the audiobook for the third edition, it just was released. Go grab the audiobook if you like listening to my voice. You can listen to it for the next 17 hours or however long that thing is. Anyway, my guest today is the artist Upsal. Upsal is now based in LA, originally from Phoenix. Um, she is a pop artist, and she is also a pop songwriter. She's written for artists like Dua Lipa, Mike Shinoda, Anne-Marie, Little Mix, Madison Beer, Gail. So she is kind of equal parts session songwriter and touring artist. During this conversation, we talk about the process of doing these pop sessions with various people in the room, sometimes artists, sometimes producers, sometimes other writers. We talk about what it's like to be signed to a major label. She signed to a major when she was only 19, actually kind of pre-TikTok. And uh, after that, she actually did have a song go crazy viral on TikTok. Uh, if you were on TikTok kind of towards the end of 2020, you might remember the song Drugs. I just came here for the drugs. That's her song. And it had millions of people making videos of that song on TikTok. TikTok. It went nuts and now has over 120 million streams just on 
Spotify. I really appreciate the conversation today and Upsal's candor and transparency. Uh, she didn't shy away from any of the questions that I threw her way, uh, especially later on when we got into how uh, her major label deal came to be and was structured. Also, what it's like to be in the room and the economics of touring. We actually spent quite a bit of time talking about the economics of being a touring artist playing small clubs because that's what she does. She also has a VIP meet and greet program. We talk about the economics around that and the philosophy around that and how she structures them. Feels good about it. If you read my recent piece for Variety, kind of calling out Maddie Healy for chastising artists about running meet and greet VIP uh, programs on tour, definitely want to listen to the bit that we discuss about VIP programs. You should definitely check out Upsell's new EP, Sagittarius. See her on tour. You can find her on all the socials, of course, and find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take. You can find me at Ari Herstand on all the socials, all of that stuff. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That's where you're going to get the most up-to-date information about the new music business, and you'll be notified when new shows, new episodes come out. Uh, But right now, if you could just pause this and leave us a five-star review, however you listen to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, or give us a hit that subscribe button on YouTube or Spotify or Apple, all that stuff. If you want us to keep showing up in your feed, subscribe to us, leave that review. That really helps. All right, let's kick into the show. Upsell, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks so much for having me. Hello, hello. Where are you based? Where are you coming to me from? I'm in LA right now, over on the east side. Where are uh, you? Uh, I'm I'm in Los Feliz, so we probably oh, neighbors. <laughs> we totally are. <laughs> probably could have done this at uh, at Intelligentsia or something, but Absolutely. either way. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, staying dry, staying safe. Uh, it's mm. it's absolutely bonkers here in, in LA. I don't know. Uh, we have this the the river that flows down the uh, Hillhurst, which is just like constant th- stream these days. It's pretty nuts. It's so crazy. I like love the rain, and so living mm-hmm. in LA, we like never get rain. So right now, all the rain we're getting. I'm living for it, but I'm starting to kind of get sick of it. I'm ready to like go to the beach and shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. You didn't grow. You grew up in Phoenix, right? Yeah, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, where it's like Not desert, much. so yeah, hot. Right there, yeah, mm-hmm. very different. Yeah. Um, right on. And so um, you have this new EP, Sagittarius, out. Um, it's great. I've been I've been Thanks. playing. I've been spinning. It's it's awesome. Um, I want to hear about the process. Um, you know, I'm I'm looking through the credits. Uh, I lost track of how many people uh, it took <laughs> to put something together like this. And I know in the pop world, and you as a songwriter who have cuts on so many other people, I think spot. I was looking at like your your Spotify for artists songwriter profile, and I think mm. it said you have over 50 cuts with other artists and and um, stuff. Yeah. So I'm curious about the process of putting this EP together. Um, you know, and then maybe contrast that a little bit to what it was like kind of being in sessions for yourself, putting, uh, you know, writing and producing songs that you knew were going to be on your EP versus popping into other people's sessions or just showing up to a blind session, um, and, uh, and not really, um, knowing, you know, maybe it's for you, for someone else, or knowing that it's going to be for someone else, just kind of help educate me on this. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's funny because when I got into songwriting, it was always just like, oh, I'm writing for myself. I'm going to put these songs out. And then I kind of got into writing for other people by accident when I wrote this song called Good in Bed for myself. And like it just kind of sat in like a Dropbox folder forever, probably over like a year, I think. And then 
like Dua Lipa's team and heard it. And they were like, we're going to put this on the Future Nostalgia album. And I was like, I'll believe it when I see it. I can't get my hopes up about this. But then when it happened, that sort of opened the door for me to like write for other artists. I was like, oh, I can kind of do this. If I can write that was myself, your first can, cut? Yeah, that was like my first ever cut for someone else. <laughs> your first cut was for Dua Lipa. Cool. It, on uh, totally the massive happened, record. Yeah. It totally happened, you know, like by accident. Like the producer, yeah. Lindgren, who produced and co-wrote it with us, sent mm -hmm. it to his publisher. And that it all just sort of got you know, in the mix of songs for that album. And because of that, I was like, okay, maybe it's not as intimidating as I thought. Like if I can write for mm. myself, I can write for other people. And how and did so, you feel about, sorry to, to interject. Oh um, I, how did you feel about giving that song away, even though you were planning writing that for yourself and, and being, you know, an artist at that point, um, you'd written tons of songs for yourself i mean i i know they're not on spotify anymore and they're not mm -hmm. really public but i know you'd release a few albums under your own name and just kind of like prior to everything else how is that how did that feel that first time of like oh wait a minute i wrote this for me i thought it was going to be my song and then kind of giving it away essentially to someone else it was a trip at first i was like wait do i actually put this song out now like maybe it is for me but then yeah once Dua hopped on it, did her thing to it, made it her own. I was like, oh, shit, like, that's how the song was supposed to be. Cool. And so now it's like this whole new kind of like, it's a completely different part of my brain and part of my like self that gets fulfilled having other artists cut songs of mine or like having other artists put out songs that we wrote together. Like it's so fulfilling in such a different way to watch like mm. To know that, like, as a writer, we've helped to get somebody else's message across. It's, like, mm. it's really, really fun. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Because um, when you're in a session, let's say, with another artist, and you're saying, you know, like, help getting their message across, um, do you approach the session differently than if you're in there as essentially the artists are writing for um you know you're actually anticipating this is going to be on your record definitely yeah it's i feel like it's too completely that's why i feel so lucky that i get to do both because whenever yeah. i get burnt out writing for myself and i'm like i don't want to talk about me anymore i get to go <laughs> talk about other people with them so it's like when i go in as an artist it's very much from like personal experience so i'm like mm. okay like what's going on in my life like let me just like pour my heart out to these people really quick and then when it's me being a writer for another artist, they're the ones that are like, this is what I'm going through. Like they're like reading through their journals and like telling me or whoever else is in the room, like about the saga that is their life at the time. And we kind of write from that experience. And so mm -hmm. it's very different. And it's honestly so nice to have the the mixture of the two because writing about yourself all the time gets so emotionally exhausting. So it's nice to like pull from other people's lives, you know? Do you always have an artist either in the room that you're co-writing with or who you're expecting um, or or I guess you're, you're anticipating will cut the song or is there a process where you just decide to write a song with somebody and then you hand it off to your publisher and they just kind of shop it around hoping to get it cut and then it just ends up on a Dua Lipa record or whatever? <laughs> I mean, I think now we're... Like in most of my sessions, if it is for another artist, they're in the room because okay. I get to work with artists who are like incredible writers. So like they mm -hmm. want to be there and like they want to be writing. They want to be, you know, a part of the process from start to finish, which is really fun. But then there is that whole world of like a lot of songs that I write maybe for myself, kind of like what happened with Good and Bad. Like 
all if I'm not planning on putting them out or it just doesn't really fit for me at the time, mm-hmm. I'll send them to my publisher and be like, yo, like, mm. who do we think for this? And then start cool. pitching it around. But I think we're in a really cool time right now where like most artists want to be in the room for mm. the whole process, which is yeah. really fun as a writer and for me as an artist to get to just hang with other artists and like, you know, we relate on such a different level, which is really cool. So yeah, yeah it's been really fun. How is the process of um, when you're actually in the room, in the session, kind of knowing your place, I guess? I mean, you know, some of these songs on your EP, for instance, I mean, like, uh, let's see, Into My Body has four writers credited on there, two producers. um, Skin Crawl has two, three, four, five, six writers, <laughs> two producers. I mean, were all six of the people actually in the room for Skin Crawl? Or like, how does this work? Yeah, I mean, no, to answer your okay. question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, for this project specifically, like my album before this, I kind of locked in with like a very tight-knit, like close crew and they worked on the whole album. Yeah. But with Skin, or with um, Sagittarius, so, yeah. I was writing all these songs like in between tours. So I would only be in LA for like a couple weeks at a time. And I would be like, Mm. give me as many fucking sessions as I can. Like, I just want to get as many songs as possible. And then was on the road, reworking the songs, rewriting them, figuring out like what producer friends of mine would work for which songs. And so that's why there's like multiple producers on songs. Like I would have Pete and Appy, my friend hop on a lot of them. Um, And he was on your last album too. Yeah. a, A bunch. Yeah. There. He's been great. He's been, um, we worked on a lot of stuff together and a lot of stuff for other artists together, which is cool. He's so talented. So whenever I'm like struggling with a song, I'm like something about it, like isn't clicking yet. It goes to him and he will like help figure it out. Um, so yeah, it was very much a really cool collaborative kind of chaotic process of like, Oh, we need a bridge. Who are we going to pull in to help write this? Or like, Oh, we need extra production. Let's pull this person in. So it was a very like, It was cool because I get to work with so many amazingly talented people. So it was cool kind of playing off of everyone's strengths to make Mm. the songs the best they could be. Yeah. How do you approach that um, in terms of like, okay, we need a bridge. Uh, You know, when I've been in little sessions with one or two other people or something like that, we'll just, you know, and we're not writing pop necessarily, but it's like, oh, we'll just finish the song. We'll get a bridge. Or like, oh, we can't come up with it today. Let's come back next week, mm-hmm. fresh ears. Let's figure this out, you know. But it's kind of like this challenge that we're like, oh, we're just going to do it. Um, like, there's nobody else. It's just where, but it's an interesting uh, process where you're just like, oh, we don't have a bridge. Let's just call up Johnny and like, he's going to do <laughs> yeah. the bridge for like, it's just a different headspace. Like, I, I've never really approached songwriting that way. And I've never really, I, I'm just curious now how you, approach that where you're just like oh you know what i'm not gonna write the bridge i've tried but nah it's going to yeah let's down the assembly line like what do you like what is this i think it's like a mixture of sometimes just by chance like the way the bridge of skin crawl happened which is why there are Mm -hmm. six writers on it was because i was working on the production with captain cuts Mm -hmm. who did like additional production on it and i was like in that session just thinking we were going to work on production and i was like we kind of need a bridge. Should we write one really quick? And so that's how they they were like, okay, we're like, yeah, let's write it in like 20 minutes. And then we got, got a bridge. It. That's how they're writers on the song. Um, 
But I think what's really interesting that I've learned to, because I've always kind of been the same way where I'm like, this is my crew. We made the song. This is our song. We mm-hmm. fuck everyone else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's been really interesting to lean on like having so many people that I trust creatively and like having a fresh set of ears on something is like mm. everything. And like for me, once I'm like in the room, when the idea begins, it's so hard for me to like zoom out and like look at the song from like a fan perspective, I guess, or like yeah. just a listener perspective. So whenever we do get stuck, it's always like, let's call up my friend Johnny Shore. Let's right. call up P <laughs> or, you know, it's just like calling up people to see like what their take on it is. And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, I have, I have nothing. Or they'll have an amazing idea that changes the song completely. So cool. it's definitely cool to like, I feel like I put so many hours in so many sessions when I first moved to LA to just like meet people. And that was so exhausting socially, but now it's great because I have this network of like people and you're like, so-and-so is good at this. Like, let's call them. Like, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that. When you moved to LA, uh, when, when was that? And how old were you? I was 19 and it was in 2018. Yeah. At the beginning of 2018. And was this pre or post drugs has was drugs already out drugs was not out i hadn't even i'd never been in the session in my life until oh, wow. i moved to la and i didn't even know that was like a world that where people just run sessions all day every right. day yeah so i just kind of got into that um whatever machine of just doing a bunch of sessions and wrote drugs in one of those sessions yeah how do you how do you move from phoenix to la and just get into a bunch of sessions how does that happen how does that work I had my management team in um, when I was still like in high school. I had met my managers, um, Joe and Ron. And in Phoenix, when I, I, they are based out of New York. They found oh. me from like YouTube, basically, which okay. is so funny. That was like <laughs> such an era. Um, yeah. And met them. And I was like, yo, when are you guys going to manage me? They were like, we're basically are, but like before we were like officially manage you, like figure out what your vibe is, like start like trying some new writing, like oh. different ways of writing, whatever. And um, so they've been with me since I was 17, basically. And then when I was like, all right, cool. I went to like a performing arts school. So I like knew I wanted to go into music. And so once I decided yeah. like, I'm not going to college, I'm just going to, I want to move to LA. My managers helped me get meetings with publishers basically and just mm. kind of met chopped around but all i really had was like my catalog from high school which like wasn't that great obviously sure. it was like shit i was making as a kid yeah. and then i signed with umpg and with Universal david gray group yeah yeah mm-hmm. and he just started booking me in sessions probably had to beg everyone to work with me because i like had nothing out it was just like so so new like the newest possible artist and yeah yeah i think just like begged people to work with me and people who were down did and i just like kept learning from that cool. yeah and in one of those sessions is when you wrote drugs. Yeah, I've I'd been working with this um, producer Kilogram for a second that was set up through my publisher, and he was like, "Yo, my friend Sean Kennedy is a really good writer. Like, do you care if he joins our next session?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course. Like, let's go." And Sean came in with the idea. I just came to the party for the drugs. <laughs> and since then, he's like my favorite writer. We make a bunch of shit together. But yeah, we yeah. wrote that song, and it didn't do anything for like two years, and then TikTok happened, and made it have another life, which was great. Right, which we're seeing so frequently these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had a few people on the show um, where that's been the trajectory. Um, you know, I mean, we had Ricky Montgomery on here who, he released an album completely independently in 2016. And then in 20, 
20 or 2021 one of the it just took two songs completely so took crazy. off and then you know he had 20 major label deals on the table that he could decide between and it was like this was a, a record that came out five six years prior and so we're seeing that happen um did you did it just happen randomly did you kind of help that along like tell me tell me the 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 story of how drugs kind of took off on tiktok yeah, I wish I could say I had a part in it because if I did, then I would know like how to make my new <laughs> music go viral on right, TikTok. Right. But um, no, it was just this like girl from like who had a, an account with like not that many. She was just making TikToks for fun yeah. and posted this like thing with this like effect and this like layered kind of dance trendy thing mm-hmm. to my song. And that video went viral. And literally it was it was cool, too, because it was on my birthday, like <laughs> of 2020. Nice. It, like within 24 hours just like went and it was Mm -hmm. the craziest thing because i didn't even notice because i really did have no part in it it was just Mm -hmm. this girl that made it happen and i we didn't ask her like i don't know how it happened at all so it was like so insane to watch it all just like continue to build and then be like okay what do i do now like how do i play a role in this this is my song and like trying to figure out how to how to get involved and like it was cool too because that was during a time where TikTok was so new. It was during COVID. So like mm-hmm. the the TikTok whatever virality also helped translate to streams and like mm-hmm. people listening to my other music, which I feel mm-hmm. really lucky for. But yeah, it was a trip. It's it's crazy. I feel like that's you kind of have no control some of the times, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, but you did a great job. I mean, of I saw the video that you did of that using that filter, which was essentially mm-hmm. kind of like a visual echo, visual delay effect. Right. Um and it seems like most like it was almost on the beat like that effect happens uh, as to like the beat of the song. And it's just like that filter became kind of the official filter of the song, or I should say the song mm-hmm. became the official song of that filter. Yeah. Uh, and so all of these, you know, hundreds of th- millions at, at this point, I think of of uh, videos that were created by people with your song uh, were using that filter. And so I saw like, you know, you did the same and you kind of created, yeah. you know, the song to that filter. But I guess that's an interesting challenge because, you know, we're in this era. There's always been one hit wonders throughout the history of the music industry. Um, the difference now is just like we're like in the TikTok one hit wonder era, uh, which we don't we haven't figured out who's the the one hit wonder yet. You know, we'll mm-hmm. figure that out in 10 years when we look back. Right. But it's like, I'm curious, you know, because the, there are some artists that don't know how to capitalize on that and and take a viral song and say, no, 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 this is us. Like, we're actually mm-hmm. a real artist. And then a lot of fans just like, oh, I like that one song I heard on TikTok or whatever. And they don't actually know there's a real artist behind it or who the artist is, um, you know. I just had uh, the Rare Occasions on, and their song Notion went crazy viral last year, um, you know, and similarly, like, got millions and millions of people creating videos around the song. They jumped on that and, mm. like, said, we're the guys behind Notion, and, th- and then made a bunch of videos around that, built up this audience. Now they're touring. You know, they signed to Elektra, got dropped by Elektra, like, a, a year later. Like, this is this wow. crazy you know, chaotic era that we're in right now where the labels are just like, you, 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 nope, drop, 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 you know? And so, like, I'm curious the process of just, like, when you see something going, you're like, wait a minute, I don't want me as the artist to get lost in this moment. Like, I want 
people to know, no, no, I'm the artist behind this song. Like, what is your approach with that? It's definitely like, honestly, fucking terrifying. I feel like all artists feel that right now. It's like, okay, you have the viral moment. And and of course, that's like the literal dream right now. But then that comes with its own set of challenges of like the song. You don't want the song to be like bigger than you. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Because then it's like, how do you continue to release music after that? Um, I think like for me, I had done some like touring, which was cool. So I had like a tiny, teeny little fan base like before that, which was cool. And I think they help to push drugs mm. along and be like, oh, like this is Upsall who is behind that song because I have yes. them already, which I'm very grateful for. And I think, yeah, like even like still years later, I get comments and they're like, you're like milking this fucking song for all it's worth. And I'm like, yeah, like that's, I have to. I feel like <laughs> I'm still making videos of like, yeah. you might know me from this song, Drugs. Here's my new song. It's like, yeah. That's kind of how people's brains work now. And I think even as a fan, and you might feel the same way too, like I love albums and I still listen to albums and I have artists who I love, but like Mm -hmm. there are so many songs that I love and half the time I'm like, wait, I just know that from TikTok. Like, who's the artist? I don't even know what the verse sounds like. Like I only know the hook. (laughs) And so it's like, if we're who are like, we're like music lovers are also Mm -hmm. consuming music that way. It's like trying to figure out from the other side now being the artist, like, how do we like connect the dots and make it as easy for people as possible to like connect you to your music, you know? Mm, I mean, yeah, that is the million dollar question. I think everyone's right. trying to figure out. No one has, has necessarily cracked that. Um, but, you know, it's, we've seen this throughout history. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, it's like, oh, I know that one song from the radio that I listened right. to or whatever. He's like, oh yeah, I know you know, that one video from MTV and you just kind of keep going. Or I know that one song from that playlist that like five years ago of like, like, you know, that I listened to. And it's, so it's always kind of been there. And now it's just, oh, I know that one song from TikTok. And so, yeah. but I think it's the artists that, you know, work, the kind of build that foundation are the ones that last. And the fact that you even had a little fan base at the time that helped propel it. I mean, that's so huge. And it's just like, I think the artists that get lost in this and don't know how to grab onto a viral moment um, are the ones that haven't laid the foundation necessarily. And so like you've done all this work behind the scenes, fan building, I mean, playing probably what hundreds of shows before you kind of even like had quote unquote, like a name, even like the Upsall Mm -hmm. name and released a bunch of records. And so you kind of had that foundation laid. And so then when things start to catch here or there, your fans can kind of jump on it and be like, oh, no, 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 they they can do the work for you. Like, this is Upsall. She's dope. I saw her, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So let's talk touring a little bit because, I mean, you've played a ton of shows. Um, I saw, you know, you've released a live album. Um, you have footage, like great footage from the Roxy that I was watching one of those, um, performances, which is so cool. Um, I guess in this whole process, like how do you approach touring as Upsall and and performing as Upsall versus kind of as the songwriter artist in the studio? They gotta be, I mean, it's, it's gotta be, you know, it's two ends of the, the spectrum for you of just like being, you know in a room with a couple other people and working out these songs and then working on this for a while and then just being on massive tours that take forever that like, you know, you were on tour, I guess you said for like six months at one point. I mean, like, 
how how do you approach touring these days this episode is brought to you by the MLC, the Mechanical Licensing Collective. Don't tune out. This is really important. If you're a songwriter based in the United States, you need to listen to this. If you've never heard of the MLC, well, it's time that you've heard of them. This is the organization that was set up by the Music Modernization Act, but in 2018, all of this nonsense you don't actually need to know. That's not important. What is important is that if you are a songwriter and you do not have a publishing company, you are not collecting all of your songwriter royalties, specifically your mechanical royalties. There are two kinds of songwriter royalties when your songs are streamed on Spotify, Apple Music, and the rest. Those are performance royalties, which are collected by your performing rights organization, like an ASCAP or a BMI. And there are mechanical royalties. These royalties are now, by law, only collected by the MLC. So if you're not a member of the MLC, you're not getting these royalties unless you have a publisher. If you don't have a publishing company or an independent songwriter, you need to sign up for the MLC to get your mechanical royalties. And you need to sign up for, of course, a performing arts organization to get your performance royalties. So head on over to themlc.com and sign on up. Thank me later. I think it's like too, it's so nice because it's similarly to just like writing for myself and other artists. Whenever I get burnt out doing writing i get to go on tour and vice versa <laughs> which is amazing yeah. but i think like the writing process is obviously like so like vulnerable and i'm like okay what do i want to say like how do i get my message across be mm. as personal as possible and like working through that process um and then the second the songs come out it sort of feels like you're like letting go of that now it's mm. like the song is kind of no longer yours it's like the fans song yeah. Like they get to make it whatever they want. So then it makes the touring so fun because the songs are theirs at that point. And like, I'm just there to like rage and put on a good show and like <laughs> cool. have a good ass time. So um, like, yeah, the touring for me has always been amazing, but it wasn't really until like the end of last year, I did my first headlining tour in a bunch of little like shitty clubs. Yeah. And it was like the most like fun I've ever had in my life. It was so fun. I could like live out of a suitcase forever. But um yeah, yeah it's it's really cool too. It's like, especially when you're like making these songs with your friends and then yeah. your friends who you made the songs with are like at the show at the Roxy and everyone's like screaming the words. It's like yeah so magical. It's really, really cool. So let's talk um we are on the the new music business podcast emphasis on business. So yes. I <laughs> um <laughs> I want to dig into the business a little bit. You're touring uh what you said as kind of shitty little clubs uh you know how do the economics work around that in terms of like you know what is your entourage what I should say what was your entourage for that tour um and like how do you make sure or can you even make sure that it is like a profitable tour at that level yeah i mean i've been opening for people for a while and that yeah. almost always is not profitable like right. i'm so glad if i break even yeah. um which is why being signed to a label is like i would not be able to to have done all of those opening tours without they my give label you tour support Right, like tour support mm. is like everything. Uh, mm. So I'm so grateful for that because I got to get so many like opening tours under my belt before I did my headlining run. And like a lot of my fans who bought shows for my headlining tour found me because of opening for those other artists, which was yep. amazing. Um, so getting to do that was amazing. Now getting to do like headlining runs, like you profit off of merch and like mm. you're 
you're obviously getting paid more to play the show because you're headlining, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I keep it like very low key. We are, we're in like a little sprinter van and mm-hmm. I bring my tour manager who also does front of house. Mm-hmm. I bring um, a lighting person uh, um, nice. who, who sets up all the lights and runs them all himself. Just one person. And then I have my drummer, my guitar player. I bring my little sister who sells merch and is nice. my paid emotional support. And then my photographer. Yeah. <laughs> so there's cool. like seven of us, which is great. Um, but mm. yeah, we're squeezing in a little van. Me, my photographer, and my sister share a bed every night. Like we're roughing it in our own like fun way. Um, sure. So yeah, it's cool. I mean, I think, yeah, one day it would be a dream to be like, I'm going to go on tour and stay in bomb ass hotels and be yeah. in the tour bus. But right now I'm just like living for it. It's, it's so much fun. It's great. No, yeah. it's great. And it and it's um I mean it points out I, I'm interested to hear how you decided on that entourage. Like bringing a, an LD, a, a lighting director, a designer, like that for many artists don't come until you're at maybe the theater level or something. Mm. And if you're playing little clubs, like you decided to bring that. Also a photographer. I mean, that seems almost like a luxury that that's their only job. Oftentimes, you know, the TM uh, will double as that or the drummer will double it or, or mm-hmm. you know, mo- everyone's wearing multiple hats. So um, how did you decide, you know, who the people and what their roles are going to be to bring on the road? I mean, for a while, I was just tour managing myself. Like my manager would advance my shows and then sure. I would kind of do the tour managing shit, which was a nightmare because I'm not a yep. very organized person. <laughs> um, so that was just like not for me. Mm-hmm. And so my front of house, Jimmy, like towards the end of like the last tour where I was tour managing was like, yeah. Tay, like I'm going to help you out a bit. So yeah. <laughs> he kind of took on that role and he had never tour managed before, but just kind of mm. being on our tour started to know what it took. And yeah. um, so then he does both, which is nice. So you can combine like two of those jobs into one yes. person, one body. Yes. Um, I brought on Kyle, my LD, just for my headlining run because I wanted to make the show like as dope as possible, even yes. though it was like in smaller venues. Um, and so he's amazing and is just like, like hustles so hard and is able to somehow run this whole light show by himself. My mm. photographer, Aubrey, has been with me for... A, like a minute just shooting for like press and, and music videos whatever like everything yeah. um and so she has been so gracious just like helping me out with like rates and like not you know charging her normal rate yeah, for me yeah. like she's just been like such a dream bringing my sister is great because we share a bed like it's just like yeah. little different ways where like we're yeah. all friends like in a team together like i'm so grateful to have people who like aren't like charging me a million dollars to come on tour with me you know it's like finding those people that are just like down for the ride that is everything yeah so this next tour that uh you have coming up in april and may um i see you're doing some dates uh kind of midwest east coast and then you head over to europe um what's the entourage for that and what 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 kind of rooms are you playing for that um, it's going to be the same crew, which is going to be really right. fun. Um, and it's similar rooms. So we're basically hitting all the spots we didn't hit on my last head headlining run, which I'm cool. really stoked for. Um, so yeah, it's going to be fun. Some cities I've never played actually, which is, is going to be sick. And then we head cool. over to Europe for some festivals, which is going to be chaotic and a yeah. shit show, I'm sure, but I'm yeah. very excited. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, very cool. So I want to, um, jump in a little bit to kind of as we're we're on this like business kick a little bit um 
So you've been with Arista now for what, four or five years? Yeah, four years. Yeah, almost five. Yeah, crazy. Which in this day and age, uh, I mean, you're an elder then at that point. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. like how many artists that we're seeing that have been signed in the last like four or five years have actually stayed with that label that long? Um, you know, I'm curious kind of um, just the the relationship. I, I think, did I read someone that you were the first artist signed to Arista when they re- relaunched? Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It was, it was very like written in the stars type crazy thing where mm. like the A&R that I, I was, when I was signing publishing or taking publishing meetings or whatever, I had met with this guy, Evan Lipschitz and mm-hmm. at Warner Chapel at the time. And I was like, I really fuck with this guy, but I got in a crazy, I was fine, but I got in a crazy car accident on my way to meet with him. So I was like, that's mm. a sign. Like I'm going to go with universal. And then literally like a few months later, David Massey, who runs mm-hmm. is the runs president Arista. of Arista, was like, hey, like I'd met him when he was at Island, but he's like, hey, I'm relaunching Arista. This guy named Evan's gonna be doing AR. I was like, Evan fucking Lipschitz. Like I loved <laughs> him. Like we and so then he was my AR and it just like all worked out so perfectly. I got yeah. to be the first signing. So it was a very unique experience at first because it felt like I was signed to like an indie label, because mm-hmm. even though it was a major. Um, because they were just starting and we kind of got to like figure it out together, which Mm -hmm. is really cool. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. I also just feel grateful because at the top, like artists at that level aren't getting deals anymore. Like I was one of the last, I feel like that was a, the last sort of era of like proper artist development deals. Because this was pre, uh, drugs going viral on TikTok. Like pretty much everything. I had like three songs out. Yeah. Wow. So like, I'm so grateful that I signed when I did because it's been a proper and still like artist development. Like they're like in it with me. Mm. Um, despite whatever's going on in the TikTok marketing world. Like it's been, it's felt very like we're a team, like building this, doing the slow burn, like touring as much as we can, putting out the right songs, doing great visuals, like just like they're in it with me, which is I feel like rare now if I were in that same place I was five years ago now, I don't think I would have gotten that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it is rare. And I'm curious, like, you know, you're still in the deal. So I I understand, you know, it's it's working in some uh, capacity enough for for both of you to feel good about this. Um, But like, yeah, you only had three songs that you didn't you weren't like necessarily proven, I guess, as an artist. it's surprising because we so rarely hear about labels, especially majors, taking chances on unproven artists. I mean, granted, uh, you had some. Did you have that Dua Lipa cut? No, already? not yet. Nothing. Yeah. So, like, how does that happen? Because it's just <laughs> we don't like. I, I, I never hear about labels taking chances. So, what did it for them? Like, why was it just like other than your natural charm and brilliance? Of course, I, mean, I know. Of course, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah. like, you know, it's just like from a business perspective. That's just not done in this day and age. Like there is no, virtually no artist development anymore. It's kind of like they want to grab you when you're already have done it all yourself. Um, And like, so was it, you know, I, I, was it like uh, a deal that you, you know, you looking back, like, was it a 360 deal that you're like, you know what, maybe we're going to try to renegotiate that in a little bit. Or was it something that was just like, 
you know what, I wanted to just take it because I figured uh, this was the best thing I could do right now and you didn't have other offers on the table. Or like, I'm curious the mindset that you're in at this point, granted, when you were 1920, you know, and you yeah. didn't, maybe didn't know as much and just in like, you know, hindsight, tell me about that process and kind of what you think about it now. I literally didn't know shit. I had to have my lawyer yeah. like talk me through this whole deal. And right. it's a proper like deal. I would have like yeah. a bunch of options and it's the whole thing. Yes. Um, and at the time I was like, I literally don't give a fuck. Like sign. I want to be like an artist. I want to go on tour. I want to put out songs. Like I want to just whatever it takes, like yeah. full send. I'll deal with the repercussions later. And luckily mm. there haven't been any crazy like it's just been so nice and yeah still like i'm at a point where like sure like drugs had her moment at a song people i don't like have a little bit of a moment on tiktok but i'm still like building and learning and like yeah to have them in today's age still be down to do that with me is like such a dream and like i do not take it for granted i feel so lucky because like mm -hmm. exactly like, people are not getting artist development deals anymore like at all i came right. in like at the last second and just like yeah. somehow got that well yeah. and i feel like you know it's you're lucky in the sense that totally. you it worked out or it's working out i should say it, you know we mm -hmm. see like you know megan the stallion one could argue it worked out for her too but she's been in endless lawsuits against mm -hmm. that early you know or her label and then you know the early production company and all like so I would imagine she probably would say the same thing. I just signed. I just wanted to be an artist. I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And then it came back around to bite her in the ass years later when she learned, oh, what did I sign? Holy shit. This is really, <laughs> really bad for me. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's like a cautionary tale. Fortunately, I mean, that speaks, you know, a lot to uh, David Massey and, and Arista and the team. They're just like to not kind of take advantage uh, of the artists and, and like throw shitty deals at them and say, like, wow, they're not going to know any better. They're going to sign right. and I'm going to get, right. you know, like they use, like that's been happening for decades in the industry, you know, and like fortunately um, all the majors have, you know, just within the last few years um, attempted to write their historical sins, their historical wrongs, by essentially wiping out all of the debt, I don't know if you heard about this, from all the artists that signed to their labels prior to the year 2000. Because oh, that's the, incredible. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so because, wow. because so few artists were recouping the costs, you know, just recouping, period, because of the major label accounting trickery, which was essentially just theft. Um, there was, it was the books. I mean, if you ever see an audit or, you know, an audit of a major label back in the day, I mean, there was this, like the CEO would take a private jet to go see their artists halfway around the world. And that would get charged to the artist expense account. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah. of course they're not recouping shit, you know? So right. like that was kind of this old boys club that existed, um, you know, for decades and like artists, years later now is coming out or realized like man we got completely fucked like we got taken advantage of and then now all the people at the majors are like yeah our bosses fucked you sorry <laughs> yeah. like that was really really bad and like you know there's all of these racial undertones to not under i mean just like blatant racism that was happening mm -hmm. and like i think you know and this really started to come to light in 2020 
um, you know, with the racial reckoning that we were going through as a country as well. And, um, you know, props to, you know, the Black Music Action Coalition and everybody else to kind of put pressure on the majors to be like, yo, like, yeah, you fucked everybody, but like, really, you fucked the black community the most. Um, yeah. And with these deals. And so fortunately, a lot of the labels have started to to right those historical wrongs. And it's amazing. hopefully, fingers crossed, learn from this as in just like moving forward, like, you know what, it's not a good look for us to continue to fuck artists. Like, one, right. it's not good business because they could just go release the music on their own. And the Especially indie music- now, yeah. Especially yeah. now. And, like, you know, the report just came out that in 2022 uh, – Independent artists and self-distributed artists held 35% of the global recorded music market. Fuck 35%. Yeah. That's like of the all the money that was made in recorded music, 35% of that money went to indies. That's incredible. So like, wow. Amazing. That. Yeah. yeah. And like if you think of all the power that the majors have and are like, you know, um, all the money, they're looking at that. Those numbers are like holy shit like they're yeah. on our tails like we we better like <laughs> get it you together. know figure yeah. yeah get it together so you know all that being said it's nice to hear from an artist signed to a major that's like it's it's rolling they're happy in their deal yeah. it's going well and it's nice to hear that there are good people uh at majors these days that are kind of taking care of of their artists in that capacity I think it's also too just having like if you have at least one person on your team that like my manager Joe like literally trust the dude with my life. It's like if mm-hmm. you have one person that you're like, you got my back. Like I trust whatever we're mm. doing. Like we're going in this together. Like, and he's so experienced and worked at a major and has like done the the thing. Like if you have your one person that you're like, all right, we're in this. I trust you. Like, and you know they're not going to let you get fucked over. Like that is everything too. So I I think right. finding that person for for me, has been everything, for sure. Huge. No, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And it is a testament to your management um, and that Joe will go to bat for you and make sure that you stay, you know, protected and in and, and all the business relationships and deals that you sign. That's, that's huge. I mean, you yeah, need someone totally. on that team. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard from your friends and I've heard, you know, it's just like, fortunately, there's a lot of shitty managers out there too that yeah. like, you know, <laughs> Uh, so I, it's, it's, um, I guess you've been fortunate that you've surrounded yourself with great people and that's awesome. Um, I'm curious about, um, you know, you're a clearly a prolific, uh, songwriter, uh, artist. I mean, you, not just on the songs that you write for others and the endless sessions you do, but like, I believe I counted that you release like almost 20 songs a year just under your own name at least that's what's on spotify Sick. Uh, i know, I, I know. You, you have tw- 60 <laughs> tracks that you released since 2020 so, um so like was is that is that your doing is that the label saying you know what to keep the spotify algorithm rolling like we got to be releasing every other month so let's let's mm-hmm. go on this or was that you and joe be like oh like how do we tweak this i'm curious like that's a lot of music to put out under an mm-hmm. artist's name. Um, and so what is the strategy behind that? Definitely Joe and I, our goal ever since we like started was like, let's just fucking be as consistent as we can and put out as much music as possible. And yeah. luckily the label is also down for that. Cool. Um, so yeah, like we did 
my album lady jesus which was 10 songs and then we did a live album which i think was like 15 or 16 songs mm -hmm. which were all already released obviously but those yeah. added to that just like kept the the ball moving i guess um or the ball yeah. rolling yeah and then um i mean because i am in sessions like literally every day sometimes two a day there's a lot of songs that never see the light of day yeah um so it's always like if i'm like oh i want to put out a song every six weeks it's easy we have a whole like dropbox mm. folder to pull from which is great cool. um and so i think yeah for me it's just like when i'm writing so much and i'm feeling inspired is the goal is to just put out as much music as possible and that's like my goal for this year definitely is like cool putting out as many singles as I can. Yeah. Cool. And and you have a bunch of remixes. Um, mm -hmm. Like at what point do you decide that you want to uh, have somebody remix the song and actually officially release it? I think that just depends on like the nature of the song. Like I did a lot of okay. remixes for my song Into My Body, which is very like dancey, housey, mm -hmm. whatever. So it just kind of naturally felt like we should do that. And like cool. doing features has been really fun and like, doing features with artists that maybe aren't in the same world as me has been really cool. Mm. Cause it's like opened up a whole new fan base to me. And like, yeah, that's been really cool. And I think just, yeah, just trying to like dip my toe in, in, in as many kind of worlds as possible, because obviously I'm like an alt pop, whatever that fuck means now. Mm -hmm, I don't know, mm -hmm. but like, that's what I am, but it's cool to like venture off into to other worlds and work with other artists and do collabs or whatever it's, it's been yeah. really fun yeah the feature um like you did with gail and uh blue to tiger um how yeah. did that come to be and and like blue to tiger for those that don't know i mean she's this dope bass player she's uh who kind cool. of like really broke out kind of over uh the pandemic on tiktok and instagram just by shredding the bass because she's so shredding. talented and yeah. now she's got a whole artist project um and gail of course broke out with her song abcdfu um so tell me about that how that collaboration came to be in that feature that was just i mean like the three of us have always just been fans of each other so we're just cool. like always like sliding into each other's dms being like yes babe like fuck up <laughs> and so um when gail was gonna put out i think that song was already out um, easy was already out and easy. then mm -hmm. she wanted to do like a remix of it and mm -hmm. because we all just are very much in the same kind of world and um we're like friends from social media and we had done a few sessions together um actually yeah i had worked with blue and gail like separately in sessions before and like cool. blue had played bass on a couple of my songs that i had put out so like we all were kind of already collabing and it was like let's all just like do this little trio together it'd be fun so that yeah. was all that was cool. all gail's doing and she, that was like so fun filming like yeah. the music video was just yeah. like in this backyard just hanging out all day it was it was really cool it was a fun process cool the power of the dm and social media we friends love a DM. It's crazy yeah truly. <laughs> i just heard i was talking to uh, my friend uh, Victoria Canal, and uh, she was on the the show as well. Um, and she just got the Hozier tour. Um, she's the direct support for Hozier. Uh, and I was like, "How did this happen?" She's like, "I saw he started following me. I just literally DM'd and was like, hey, if you ever need support.'" He's like, "Actually, I do." And boom, it's crazy. It happened. <laughs> That's how so it like, like always yeah. happens. Yeah, it's yeah. so crazy. So yeah, um, nice and. Let me see. Okay. So here's something that I'm curious about when we kind of get into um, the touring side of everything um, and the economics. Um, 
So I see that you do. You have uh, VIP meet and greets for most of the the shows. Um, did you do that for the last run as well? I did. Yeah. So I talk to me about the um, kind of how those work um, and just kind of the philosophy behind doing them and uh, yeah, just how, how these, this VIP process goes. Genuinely it funds the tour. And Mm. so being um, yeah, it, it funds like most of the tour, which is amazing. Um, And it just creates a really fun the way we run like my VIP or meet and greet or whatever you want to call it is like very small, like max 50 people. And um, we're just like hanging out for an hour and like get to like actually spend time. Like it's not like a, like the reason we cap it is so that I can actually talk and like hang out with people. Um, So it just like makes it a fun for me, at least I feel like the people who come to the, the meet and greet at the beginning, like they're there early we're hanging out. I do a little like acoustic set. We'll sing together. Sometimes ask questions, get pictures, do the thing. And then it's like, then at the show, that's normally like the front couple rows or like those people who I already have been hanging out with for the past like hour or whatever. So it just creates a fun. And there's always like a ridiculously cheesy speech I give of like, you guys are here. You set the vibes for everyone else coming, like make sure everyone is making friends or taking care of each other. And so it's just this like cute core group of people that set the fucking vibes for the night and like yeah it's really really it's really fun i i think nice. that's like one of my favorite parts of the tour is like getting to because you know when i'm like opening i go and hang out at merch after my set and like meet people and that's always so chaotic and you're like yeah screaming talking over the noise and like the vip thing is just so intimate and just mm. chill which is really really cool nice that's great to hear yeah. um and i i saw just uh most of the tickets are like about three times more than the face general admission ticket, yeah. right? Something like that. I think yeah. I think it so depends like, on the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, most of the shows are like $18, $20, something like that. And most of the, the VIP tickets are like 60 something or, or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's great to hear that it funds the tour. And I think that's really important for a lot of artists out there to hear that. Because there's, you know, I think there's... Um, there's healthy ways of doing this. There's mm-hmm. and then there's ways that don't feel necessarily as uh, valuable or in a way that um, maybe as um, community oriented as yeah. you've made it. And um, I think the artists that are doing it really well are doing it like how you're doing it, where it's a hang, it's an acoustic performance, it's like that intimacy. It's yeah. not get in line, 30-second photo op, next kind of right. a thing. That's why I know, like, most artists have, like, we have such a thing against, like, why would people pay to say hello to me? Like, that's mm-hmm. absolutely fucking insane, which I agree. But when it's, if you can make it more of an experience rather than, like, hi, photo, bye, like, right. making <laughs> it a, like, we're, like, hanging out. This is, like, another added thing to the show. Like, that to me makes it more like worth it for me and like makes me feel better about the situation when it does it is such a financial help on the tour being yeah. like still a very low mid artist um sure. so yeah it definitely helps but trying to make it as much of a like joined experience and like people make friends through it like it's i try to make it as much of an experience as possible yeah 
That's awesome. Um, well, everyone listening to this, go grab a ticket to Upsal's yeah, new tour on. coming up. Um, I, this has been great. Uh, thank you for for being so mm. candid and, and just going in with me on on all mm. these issues and sides of it. Um, well, I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Um, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? That's the real question. I saw that that, that was going to be asked right before this, and I was like, mm-hmm. ooh. <laughs> what does that mean? I honestly think what it means to me, and there's there's always a part of me that's like chasing like a Grammy or chasing like selling out MSG or whatever. But I think to me, making it in the new music business is me getting to make music for a living every day. And I've gone to do that for the past five years. And if I can be doing that five years from now, hopefully on a bit of a bigger level, sure. that to me, like I feel like, I haven't made it, but like I have, like in my soul, I feel like getting to do this is my job. Like we've made it, you know. Upsell, that was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Seriously, this is so fun. Yeah. This is so- Today's episode was edited by Max Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. Real quick, I want to let you know about TuneCore. Well, I'm sure you already know about TuneCore, but you might not know that TuneCore recently, over the last couple of years, has changed a lot of its platform for the better. And, uh, you know, I've been I've been talking and reviewing TuneCore uh, for the last, gosh, 10, 12 years or so. And this is the biggest update to TuneCore that they have ever done. And this is a great move from TuneCore. What they've done is they've moved to an unlimited pricing plan. So where we're at kind of in the current stage of release strategy and recommended practices for how to release your music, yeah, you got to be releasing more music more frequently than just dropping an album once every three years. So to uh, accommodate this, they now have an unlimited pricing tier, which means you can distribute unlimited music for an annual price. They have also integrated splits, payment splitting. So whether you want to cut your cutting your producer or other collaborators, maybe some session musicians, you want to cut them into some of your streaming revenue, you can do that very easily on the TuneCore platform. And another thing that I love about TuneCore is their publishing program. They have TuneCore Admin Publishing. So, you know, I've talked a lot about this on the article on the distribution comparison chart on Ari's Take. But I wanted to let you know about these new initiatives that TuneCore is up to and everything that TuneCore is doing. Head over to TuneCore.com, check it out for yourself, sign up for a program, distribute some of your music, and you'll see for yourself. (laughs) 